Welcome to the Luke Mindpower Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm super pumped to spend some precious time with you today and help you bring out more of your greatness because I know you have it. Let's get inspired, motivated, and move one step closer towards inner peace and healing. It's time to step out of your comfort zone and say yes to life. You are enough, and I believe in you. Let's get this episode started. What's happening, everybody? This is the Luke Mindpower Podcast. I'm coming to you live from Vancouver in Canada. Somehow the universe has aligned me with someone who's been following me, one of my followers from three years ago. Devin has been, yeah, he followed me quite some time ago and somehow the universe has connected us uh, while I'm here in Vancouver. I didn't even know he, that he lived here and uh, he sent me a message a couple of days ago. We just had lunch uh, and I said, you know what, this sounds like, uh, he started telling me his story and, and I said, you know what, this sounds like an episode that needs to be heard by, by millions of people. And so I had the intuition, I was like, bro, I'm going after this lunch <laughs> when I finish with you to have a uh, to do some podcast recording and actually um, go live as well. And I was like, "Do you want to share your story?" And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "All right, man." So everybody who's tuning in right now, um, welcome to episode number 184. I want to welcome to the podcast, uh, Devin Boyce. How you doing, Luke? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, it. bro. Honestly, like after I heard a bit of your story, like it went for you know, 30 seconds, all I felt was, I don't want to hear any more of it because I want you to tell us the story on the podcast. <laughs> like, that's how I felt. Because right. I was like, man, there's so many people that need to hear this story. Yeah. Right? Um, even though it's not over yet. You know, you still got a lot that you got to go through. Yeah, some things are still being worked out. Yeah. But where did you first find me, man? Where I first found you uh, in 2019 when I had moved to Australia. I had moved to Australia in 2019 for a one-year working holiday visa. I was a chef at the time. And uh, I found you on Instagram. I was watching the content we were posting. It was when you were doing uh, your stay at the Shaolin Temple in, uh, in China. And I was super interested in that. You were posting a lot of really interesting videos. You were connecting with all different people on different levels. And it was interesting, too, because you had, like, the other students that were part of that temple with you. Like, you would interview them and ask them about, like, their own personal experiences and what had brought them to the temple and what they were getting out of the experience. And it was, like, it really, it kind of opened up my mind a bit more towards, like, connecting with people in that way. When if, if, you, if you have a shared interest or you're in a place where you're kind of seeking the same kind of growth as the people that you're sharing that space with, it kind of opens up that parts of your, it opens up those parts of your mind a bit more. You can connect with people better. You can kind of really fall into like the purpose of what you were aiming to do and i think you really nailed that when you were at the shaolin temple yeah and that's that's why i started watching you in the first place yeah yeah you know i'm pretty i'm pretty selective with with i just it's just who i am like because of what i've done in the last five years and and who i give my time to and who i say yeah i'll come and meet you or you know, I'm, I am, I'm pretty selective and, and I know some people can say that oh, you're selfish or whatever, but it's like, nah, man, I'm just really particular with my energy and, yeah. and, and, 
and I'm careful, you know. So if you message me on Instagram and you say, let's meet up, I might look at it, but it doesn't mean I'll reply to you. I just, I, I have to like do my my due diligence to go. It has to be filtered. Yeah. Is this someone <laughs> that I'm going to get like, am I going to receive some sort of energy or value back as well? I'm very particular like that. I'm like, surround yourself with people who are going to bring value to your life. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. As much as I can appreciate, everyone has a story in that. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, uh, you know, you're reaching out and I was like, you're in Vancouver. I was like, damn, yeah. D um, Devin has been connected with me for quite some time. I was like, fucking oath let's let's go and have lunch and let connect you know um so uh i feel very blessed to be in your presence especially you know we all have a story and we've all been through something but when you go through something as challenging and traumatic and hard as you have and you hear it you start to realize you know, sometimes we think that life is really hard. Oh, fuck. Right? <laughs> <laughs> listen, sometimes we think that life is really hard. And yeah. then you listen to a story. And I'm telling you guys, you're tuning into the Luke Mind Pearl podcast. This is episode number 184. And you're going to be sitting there thinking to yourself, you know, I feel like life is hard or things are really challenging for me. And now I'm going to make you sit in your chair and you're going to go, life is pretty easy. <laughs> because you're going to hear Devin's story. And once you listen to Devin's story, it's going to change your life. And it's still not over. Like he, Devin is still going through his process of having to have patience and persevere to get himself back to his best version of himself. But take us, take us there, bro. Because when you took me there in, in, and I was sitting in the, went to this amazing place. <laughs> Devin took us to this cafe. If you're in Vancouver, you got to go. Lunch lady. The lunch lady. It's a Vietnam <laughs> Vietnamese restaurant. Let me, before we go into your story, <laughs> let me just share something. You got to give the lunch lady a okay. price. The lunch lady in Vancouver, right? This is a Vietnamese restaurant and I'm sitting there. They're playing Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Eminem, freaking Tupac, right? Um, there's a cocktail bar. Um, the food is delicious. I'm sitting there. And then as I'm thinking about asking Devin to come on the podcast, um, they play this. Oh, I've already asked him actually. And then while we're sitting there talking, they play Tupac to live and die in LA. So for anyone who's listening, uh, I'm a big Tupac fan. And also, if you know your music, then you well, maybe you wouldn't have figured it out yet, but I'm going to spill the beans on this, that the instrumental that you hear on the Luke Mind Power podcast is actually part of the instrumental from To Live and Die in LA by Tupac, the song. And we're sitting there, and this is, this is what I believe is divine alignment. This is what I believe that the universe is sending you messages all the time to, to remind you, to let you know that you're on the right path. Yeah. There's no coincidences, okay? It's all happening for a reason. And we're sitting there in the cafe, and guess what song comes on? To live and die in LA, Tupac. <laughs> and I said, I looked at Devin. I go, bro. I said, man, this is not a, this is not happening by accident, right. you know. So we're meant to be here, uh, and I'm grateful that you come on the podcast so we can share your story, man. And I, I really know that everybody who's tuning in is going to be really inspired by your resilience and by your strength and perseverance to continue to show up and to get yourself back to where you are today. Because I know it hasn't been easy, man. So take us. Take us back to to why you even went to Australia and then, yeah, take us into into your story, man. Okay, yeah. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for having me as your guest, man. I really appreciate this, and it's been it's been great to finally connect with you in person after so many years of us following each other. But um, so 
the way this uh, all started for me was back in 2019, I had decided to come to Australia for a one-year working holiday visa to work as a chef because that's the career I'd had here in Canada for many years. Um, I had two friends there who had just finished their one-year working holiday visa. We actually did our apprenticeship together at Fairmont, and they they couldn't get over how good it was. It was like they pay chefs way better in that con- in Australia than they pay us in Canada, which is very much the truth. And they had both suggested, they're like, dude, you got to do it, man. Just, just like take a swing at it. Come out here and see what it's like. So I took their advice. I applied for a working holiday visa and uh, packed all my stuff and moved to Australia for a year. And um, things were going things were going quite well. Um, I ended up landing, uh, I got a job as a chef at a retirement community first. And then while I was working there, I got my job at Crown. So I switched over and started working full time for Crown, uh, which was great. Um, it was Definitely a chance for me to expand my career, to learn more, to gain more knowledge and experience in the field that I was already basically a professional in. So that was really good. It's a great opportunity. So I jumped all over it. And uh, I was in a position, too, where I was also part of the main reason why I came to Australia was to improve myself and to improve my state of being, improve my mind, improve the way I thought and reacted to things. And that was something that I was actively making a very strong effort to do. I was exercising very rigorously, but was in the gym at least five days a week. I was doing calisthenics classes each morning at about 6 a.m. before going to the gym. And I had gotten myself into a routine of regular exercise and a very good work atmosphere where I was feeling for uh, the first time in many years that, like, I was starting to feel like I was becoming aligned properly. Like, it was probably, I think, the second month I was in Australia – and I had the thought where I was like, I definitely made the right decision coming here. Like this, this was the right thing to do because all of the things that are s- supposed to be happening to me that are going to ex- allow me to excel in my life are happening. And I was leaning into that with full force. And then uh, whew, uh, there was one night where I was riding. This is probably the third month I was there. Third month I was living there it was April. Or no, it was May. Sorry, it was within the first two weeks of May. It was May 11th that this happened. And I was riding my motorbike home from work at Crown. And uh, while I was going about 70 kilometers on the road, uh, someone decided to do a U-turn in front of me. Um, So this was, uh, this is where it all changed. Everything changed for me in this day. Uh, I saw this person do the U-turn, but I realized I was less than 20 meters from this person. And the speed that my bike was traveling, it was impossible impossible for me not to hit them. So I kind of, I remember yelling, fuck, in my helmet. And then I hit my brakes and just kind of prayed for the best. But because I was riding a small Honda Vario scooter and not a full-size motorcycle, when I hit my brakes traveling that fast, the whole bike slid out. The bike slid under this individual's car, slammed me against the side of the car, and then pulled me under the car with the bike. Um, So as a result of that... um, I was, I was hurt quite badly. Um, I was knocked out immediately from striking my head. And when the paramedics got me to the hospital and realized the extent of my injuries, I was, based, I was actively dying. Um, I, the accident had broken 15 of my ribs. It punctured both of my lungs. It lacerated my spleen. It fractured the spinal column in between my shoulder blades. And I had struck my head so hard that it had given me a subdermal hematoma. So the inside of my skull was slowly filling with blood. Um, And they realized this once they got me to the hospital. Um, And I can honestly say, um, 
anyone listening, please don't ever take anything for granted ever in your life. Um, one thing that saved me, um, and this was, this was odd, but the one thing that saved me was the fact that I never locked my iPhone. I have no passcode lock on my phone. So when the doctors in emergency, when they got me into the emergency into surgery, the surgeon went through my pocket and he found my phone because they're like, okay, we have to, we have to contact someone that knows this person. They're just, they just thought I was another Australian person. And so they went into my phone and I just called the last number on my calls list. And that was my housemate, Peter. And so Peter answered the phone and the surgeon was like, how do you know this individual? Like he's been in a very serious accident. We need the contact information for his family here immediately. And Peter explained to the doctor, he's, he's not from here. He's not Australian. He's Canadian. Um, but you'll definitely find his mom's phone number and his contacts. Like you got to call her immediately. So once the, once the doctors realized that I was not an Australian citizen, my phone not being unlocked is definitely what saved me because in order for them to, in order for them to perform the medical procedure that was required to basically save my life, they had to have the consent of a family member in Canada because I'm not a, because I'm not a citizen of Australia. So if my phone had been locked, they wouldn't have been able to contact anybody that knew me within the amount of time that they needed to act. So I would either be dead right now or I would be a vegetable. So I cannot, I cannot describe how tremendously grateful I am that things did not go that way. And yeah, if anybody listening, if you have a passcode on your phone, take that shit off because it might save your life one day. Um, so yeah, so the doctors, they were able to contact my mom here in Canada she obviously gave her consent immediately, and then they performed the medical procedures that they had to for, perform to basically keep me alive, um, which required them having to drill into my skull, suck all the blood out of my head, uh, and then I had to have 12 stitches put in my I have a small indent here in my skull now because they had to, they had to basically drill through my skull and then stitch it back closed. So I've got a small like divot in my head. Um, that's why I don't shave my head anymore, <laughs> otherwise you'd see it. Um, but yeah, that's um, so they were able to basically keep me alive. They were stable, like made me stable, and then, but due to the fact that they had to induce me into coma, um, this was something my mom found out when she got to Australia because she she got there like she was there within two days. She was there like immediately, and the doctors had explained to her we had to induce him into coma because we had to drill into his skull, and when you induce a person into coma, we have we have no idea when he's going to wake up. They basically told my mother that he could wake up next week or he could wake up next year. It's, it's all dependent on basically whatever's going on inside of his body. And like, I think one thing that, um, I think one thing that contributed to this, um, to how, how quickly I was able to wake up. Cause I, I woke up, I remember waking up two weeks later. And I think one of the things this is one of the things that the doctors explained to my mom as well, when she got there, Luke was that like, they told my mother that if I had been someone that was overweight or if I had been a smaller person, that that accident would have killed me for sure. They said the only reason that I survived the accident was because my body was in basically the best physical condition that it could be in. Um, and that's from years of lifting weights and eating properly and exercising, stretching, riding a bike, being an active person, and that kept me alive. So don't ever take your body for granted, please, anybody listening. like Do the due diligence and do the justice of taking care of yourself both mind and body, it will benefit you dramatically in the future. So they, well, they basically were like, okay. So they ex had explained to my mom he could wake up, as I said, next, next week or next year. So me in a coma, I was probably in a coma for about two weeks. 
So for two weeks, my mom sat there in the hospital room just watching me sleep in a coma, wondering when I was going to wake up. And then one of the only things I remember from the hospital, Luke, I remember the day I woke up in the hospital. And um, I remember, like, I remember opening my eyes, waking up, and I'm like, okay. I, I knew immediately I was in a hospital. I'm like, okay, this is the hospital for sure. Um, but, like, they had, a, they had a feeding tube in my throat because they had been feeding me intravenously because I was in a coma. So when I woke up, that's the first thing I could feel was that tube in my throat. And I was like, oh, and, like, I'm right-handed. So instinctively, I went to reach for it to, to pull it out or to grab it. And my arm wouldn't move. Like, I was like, okay, like, why <laughs> why is my arm not moving? Like, I'm trying to reach for my face. My arm's not moving. And uh, I kind of, I started to panic a little bit. And I went to grab it really quickly with my left hand. And a good friend of mine, my friend Wayne, uh, he was sitting next to my bed in the hospital. He grabbed my hand. He's like, no, no, you can't. Like, you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. And he's like, I'm trying to, f I'm like, I'm like, no, I have to get up. And I'm trying to fight him, like, to reach for the mask. And he's, he's got both his hands trying to hold my one hand down on his leg. And then I looked around the room and I saw my mom. And I just, I just started, I, I started freaking out. Because I, I didn't, I didn't realize what had happened to me. And I just, I started getting really agitated and trying to get up. And uh, the doctors just came back in, and put me back to sleep. And then when I woke up next... I had been transferred to another hospital. Um, I had been transferred to a private hospital for my recovery. Um, this was the one thing, too, that uh, made the situation not as bad. The fact that the accident was 100% the fault of another person doing something illegal because they did a U-turn in front of me. That made the insurance company 100% liable for everything related to my accident. So they paid for all my surgery, all my time in the hospital, for my mom to come there. And then they had me transferred to a private hospital so that I would get the best chance of recovery. So I was transferred to the private hospital. And so I remember about probably, it's probably about a week later, I'm at the private hospital now. And <laughs> my stay at that hospital was the Epworth, the Epworth Hospital. And uh, the first 42 days I was in the Epworth Hospital, I was in a locked section of the hospital that I couldn't leave because I had post-traumatic amnesia. And post-traumatic amnesia is basically... Fuck. Anyone who's anyone who's ever had a serious head injury may understand this, but post-traumatic amnesia is basically when your memory and your mind basically resets itself every minute. So being in the hospital during that time, I had no concept of time passing. Um, I would eat a meal, and then 20 minutes later, I'd completely forgotten that I had eaten a whole meal. Like, I would ask people the same questions several times. It was, it, was, it was a rough time. And on top of having the post-traumatic amnesia, um, because it was the left side of my head that I struck, the doctors explained to me that the left side of your brain controls your right side limbs. And because we had to put you in a coma, there was no signals being fired from your left side brain to your right side arm or leg. So that's why when I woke up from a coma, my right side limbs were basically dead. They were inactive. I couldn't put any weight through my leg. I couldn't walk. I couldn't put any weight through my leg. I, I couldn't squeeze a fist. I could barely lift my arm. It was like this side of my body just didn't work. And um, I was terrified. I'm like, is this permanent? And the doctor said, no, it's not permanent. It's because we had to put you in a coma. Left side of your brain controls right side of your body, so on and so forth. It will take time. It will have to take time and extensive rehab. But you should be able to regain most of that function. But, oh, excuse me. Because of the post-traumatic amnesia, they weren't able to start my physical rehab until I got out of PTA. And fuck, I can tell you, man, PTA is an interesting time. Like, you, <laughs> you um, it, it's, almost like, it's almost like you're in your own little video game, right? And uh, so each, each week, 
I remember uh, each week um, a neuropsychologist had to come and give me a flashcard test, right, where they show you, like, a series of flashcards, and then you have to accurately guess them in correct order and this and that. And she's like, until you pass this flashcard test 100%, you're still in PTA. So it took me 42 days to pass that test. And um, I remember even my mom would tell me, like, when it was in the really early stages, <laughs> it's, it's still something, it's still kind of funny. It's something we joke about now, but it's like, she would tell me that it was like, she, she explained to me, she's like, it's like you were living in a video game. Like you would be t saying all these random things. You're like, oh, I've got to go find Iron Man or like me and the Guardians have to go complete this mission. It was like you were in some comic book video game slash Marvel movie thing that you were stuck in. And like, that's where you thought you were. And you kept, you kept like, there was several, and this was really funny, <laughs> slightly inappropriate, but really funny. My mom would say to me, like, you kept getting upset and wondering and asking me, where's my Groot penis? I can't find my Groot penis. And it's like, and I, I didn't have any idea what you were talking, she's like, I didn't have any idea what you were talking about, because I don't know about all this Marvel stuff and these characters and this and that, but it's like, you were convinced that you were in a world with these characters. Uh, but do you, do you, do you, are you into Marvel and all that stuff? Yeah, I've, I've oh, been, okay. I've been a huge Marvel fan yeah, for, yeah. for decades, but like, so I guess, <laughs> I don't know, I guess that's kind of where part of your mind goes when you're dealing with trauma, you go to like, I guess your mind kind of creates mm -hmm. spaces that'll make you kind of comfortable and where you can feel relative to what's happening in a sense. But um, that was a PTA was a, an interesting time. And so then how many, how many months or, or how long has it been since the beginning to having to like, how many days were you in hospital? I was in the hospital. Initially I was in the first hospital where they had to perform all the surgery. I was there for about two and a half weeks. And then once I woke up from a coma, then they transferred me to the Epworth hospital and I was in the Epworth hospital for three months. So I was in the hospital for about three and a half months. Okay, so you, you said that your left side of your body, which was even your mouth. Yeah, no, it was my right side, my right oh, side. Right yeah. side, your arm, your leg. My face was okay, but my arm and my leg were basically non-functional. Okay, so, and what did you have to do to learn to oh, use them again? Man, um, fuck. The, the physical, re they had a, a physical rehab ward across in, the, in a building across the street from the hospital. So I was there every day for like f several hours. They had to teach me how to navigate stairs again, like independently, climb stairs by yourself. So, because at first I could only hold the railing. They had to teach me how to basically rebuild the muscle definition in my leg so that my knee could withstand the weight and the pressure of my weight. And I could just basically stand up and hold myself upright. So I had to, I had to basically reconstruct the entire functionality of my leg and also my arm because from being in a coma, my, I developed subluxation in my arm. So it was like my shoulder, my right shoulder was like hanging way down here. So it was like, I had to rebuild it so that my shoulder was back up in line with my, with my left shoulder so that I could like my arm would function properly. And it was, fuck Luke, this was, this was hard, man. This, the physical therapy part of it and having to learn how to reuse my body was some of the hardest stuff I've ever had to do because I went from being in the best physical shape of my life to basically being cut in half. And like, I can't describe to you like what that feels like in your mind when you know you've worked so hard to get your body to a certain place, a certain, a certain level of fitness and functionality. And then all kind of gets like mm -hmm. cut in half through one instant. And you have to like, you have to basically allow yourself to accept the, the, the notion, the concept that, okay, I'm here now and I've got to go back and rebuild. I've got to rebuild and redo all this work I've been doing for years. Mm. So 
like learning how to reuse my arm again. Like I had to, man, I remember too, for the first little bit, it was, for me, it was slightly embarrassing. Cause like when I had to take a shower, like I couldn't shower independently. So I'd have to stand in the shower and hold the railing on the wall. And two ladies from the hospital would shower me and like, fuck man. Like, she's like, <laughs> talk about, <laughs> talk about giving up any, any bashful feelings you have. They definitely went straight out the window there. Shit. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, Learning how to run, learning how to walk and run again, like that took a long time. How, even just reminiscing or reflecting, like sharing this story, does it does it hurt? Do you feel emotion? Do you feel, what do you feel when you talk about this? Like going back, because I know, for example, a lot of people, especially if they've been through trauma, trauma yeah. or like really bad experiences, you know, they don't necessarily want to talk about it or go back there. How do, how do you feel by actually going back there and like replaying like what actually happened for me i personally i think i feel like it's somewhat therapeutic because here's the thing luke i've learned this i've learned this the hard way through different experiences in my life growing up but if you when you willfully choose to not face the situations that have created the most difficulty in your life those situations don't go away you end up harboring the energy from those situations deep inside your body and in your subjective and in your subconscious mind and until the day comes where you willfully decide to face those things and work through them, that's when it starts to unravel itself. And that's when you start to gain the clarity and learn the lessons from what that situation was meant to teach you. Mm -hmm. But if you just try to bury it in your subconscious or make it go away or ignore the fact that it exists, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And I can honestly tell you from personal experience with other things I've had to go through in the past, it ends up hurting you more because you haven't dealt with it. It'll crop back up and you're at some point in your life later on in the future at the most inopportune time, it'll end up jeopardizing something else that you didn't think it would jeopardize or it will like, it will create difficulties that you didn't think would happen. And it's because you didn't deal with this when you were supposed to deal with it. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's well, uh, I got to, you know, obviously you're still going through, you know, rehab and like getting yourself back to, you know, emotional strength, mental strength, physical strength, you know, it doesn't happen straight away. Mm. Um, but, I, I, I'm inspired by you, man. Like, just like feeling the energy of you expressing yourself and sitting here with you while you talk about like something as horrific as that. And there I was like complaining a little bit about turbulence and <laughs> being in the plane and <laughs> having no control because I felt like I was going to die. Yeah. But, you know, by the way, guys, yeah, I had a pretty bad experience on Air Canada <laughs> flying over Hawaii, coming to Vancouver and the plane pretty much like dropped out of the sky for about a second and a half and everybody flew up like if you weren't wearing a fucking seatbelt, then uh your head would have smashed into the roof of the of the aircraft um and it was pretty scary and i felt like i you know i was just so anxious and my body started shaking my heart rate was increasing and and uh and i just couldn't wait to to freaking get down on the ground yeah. so i had a really that was pretty like scary for me but you know to compare my self with your experience and what you actually had to go through obviously you know impact get knocked out a lot of shit would have happened to your body yeah um and then being in hospital but it's the, the it's the after effects it's the rehab it's yeah. being in hospital it's losing your memory it's you know your parents getting you know people close to you getting involved and having to deal with this like there's yeah. so much that happens and then you having to kind of like f 
have lawyers and go through insurance and like yeah. you know get paid your your what you're supposed to be getting paid because of the negligence and like there's so much that you have to deal with a lot of layers you know and it's what when did this happen 2019 it's May. 2023 right now so <laughs> fucking this four is years like of my life, four man. years of your life <laughs> like that you're having to deal with <laughs> something like that because of somebody being negligent on the road yeah right and 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 look at that like four years now and so obviously um you know it's not easy but it has major impacts and repercussions on on your future on your life you know and i know that again we can sit here and go you know everything happens for a reason there's something to learn from everything and whatever but you know relationships uh play a big role in our life and you know we talked about this uh, at lunch yeah and and i feel that things happen specifically that sometimes don't make sense i mean i always say that you'll never lose the right people you know mm. don't be afraid of losing yourself be more afraid of, of of be more don't be afraid of losing others be more afraid of losing yourself trying to please others yep. right so you mentioned to me that you lost a relationship that you were in because of this experience yeah and because of how the experience changed me yeah. yeah and and like i i know what it feels like to love to feel loved to be in a relationship especially if it's something that adds value to your life which mm. in part i'm guessing it was something like that it was my goalpost, man yeah like so tell us about how yeah. you being in a relationship how that actually has helped you and now what is the result and where are you at with that relationship and and how do you feel about it? Well, it's it's actually an interesting story. That that relationship is has ended now. Um, but the the and that was part of part of the whole reason why I had gone I had how I left Canada and went to Australia was because like that she that person had been my partner for a long time. At the time I think we had been together for about six years. And when I had made the decision to go to Australia. And part of the reason why I made the decision to go there was because I had reached a point in my own life as an individual where I was very unhappy. I was unhappy with the circumstances that I had created for myself. I was unhappy with, I was starting to become somewhat unhappy with my job as a chef and I wasn't dealing with those feelings properly. Like I was allowing the frustration and the negative aspects of feeling that way to in like to influence my behavior. And then my behavior was impacting the people that were closest to me, primarily her. And so that's part of the reason why I decided to leave and go to Australia was because in my mind, I was like, okay, if I continue to stay here in Canada where I'm close to everything and everyone that I know, what's going to incentivize me to change? Like what's, what's going to be the catalyst that makes me change my behavior and change the way I think and change the way I, I'm like associating value to things because I could see that I was slowly burning my life down. Like I was, I had, I was, I had a very, re I was a very reactive person back then. I had a very short temper from being a, sh not, not just from being a chef for so long, but from a lot of the things I had experienced growing up, my temper was, I had a very short fuse and, um, I could see that that was having, I started to impact my life in a way that was not good because it was, it was affecting people that were closest to me. And then it was by, 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 in, by affecting the people that were closest to me, it was then showing me how I was as a person and how, it, how my negativity was impacting other people. So part, that's the main reason why I left. I remember I sat and had a very, I sat and had a conversation with her and I was like, listen, 
I'm like, I feel like I'm slowly burning my life down and I feel like I'm dragging you into that. And I don't want to do that. Like I would like to take the time to go somewhere where I will be forced to address the problems that I have and work myself through that shit and fix it so that it doesn't end up ruining the, the relationships that are important to me. And I actually actually be a functional human being in the future. And we had a really good conversation about it. And I said, I thought, I think I should go to Australia for a little while. Cause I, I know very few people there. I only knew a handful of people in Australia and like, I'll be forced to actually do what it is I'm saying that I want to do because I'm not going to be home around all my comforts and friends and things that I'm used to. And she's like, okay, I like, I agree with you. I think that would be a good idea. So we did that. We decided to end our relationship at that time. She came back here to BC where she was from and I went to Australia and um, like we, like we didn't, like things didn't end badly. Like I was still in contact with her pretty much the whole time I was in Australia. We'd talk from time to time and things like that. So you broke up with her before you went to Australia. Yeah, we broke up before I went to Australia. Um, so, and that's, and that's why it was, oh man, like when, like we were still close, obviously we had been together for years. And like the reason why I, the reason why our relationship ended wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't because one of us cheated or one of us did something horrible. It was because we both like... And she also realized, she's like, I, you know what, I have some things that I need to work on myself as well. So we both kind of realized that. And we're like, okay, we'll take some, we'll step away from each other for a while. We'll take the time to fix ourselves and then we'll see what happens in the future. That's pretty mature, man. I've never done that before. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> s- like sat there and gone, you know what, I think I need to work on myself. Maybe you need to work on yourself too. Let's have a break for like six months or like let's break up and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And so... <laughs> it's interesting too because like being in Australia, like I had I had reached a point. I think it was the second month that I was there, and like I had reached a state of clarity where like I felt completely content with what decision that I had made to go to Australia, because I could see and feel that my life was improving significantly. Like my state of mind, my physical health, my mental health, like everything was getting a lot better. But what what were you doing? that was helping you make that you becoming a better, like obviously there was, there was some pain or some, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I was very reactive. So obviously that came from an environment that you grew up in. Yeah. And so you went to Australia to address that. How did you address it? <sighs> and I were kind of digressing from, no, no, the it's it, no, no, it's, no, no, it's totally fine. Um, the way I, I addressed that was like, I kind of remember having a, a conversation with myself from like, okay, Devin, like, People go, everyone, we all go through tough shit in life, right? Yeah. Everybody goes through hard things. We all have bad experiences or lose somebody or lose a job or become injured or lose friendships. Things like, things happen, right? That's part of life. But like the way those things impact you and the significant changes that they will contribute to your life are solely based on how you respond and react to these things happening to you. And so that was, that was pretty much the mindset that I had when I went there. I was like, okay, like I have to allow myself to not be as a react as the same reactive person that I've been for the last, I was fuck. I was Christ. I was oh, wow. I was thirty one when I, I was thirty two when I went there, thirty six now. So I was like, I have to, I have to kind of separate myself from this default mindset that I've had for so long, and just allow myself to be more accepting of things I don't have control over, and within that realm, keep the notion. And the sense of, okay, don't be reactive. This is something you can't control. This is something that's not of your doing. So for you to get upset or for you to become reactive, all you're doing is wasting your energy because you can't, 
you can't control what other people do. All you can control is how you respond or react to what they're doing or what's going on around you. Um, so that was one of the main notions that I had in my mind going there. And then the other thing that helped me with that was physical. Cause like, I've always been really into like exercising, lifting weights, like martial arts when I was younger, things like that. So like I put myself back on a very like, like a pretty, not strict, but a very, not strict's not the right word, but discipline. Um, yeah, discipline. There it is. A very disciplined regimen of like how I would like basically use my time. So the way my days would start an average day for me, like, so I would wake up very early. I would wake up about five 30 in the morning. I would, I would remember I would meditate. I'd watch a Muji video and med- I'd meditate, drink a bunch of water. I'd then ride my bike to calisthenics class for 6am. Where's all this motivation coming from for you to be this physically fit dude? I understand that, like, to not here's here's one thing that, and this 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 not it's not it might not be the same for everybody, but what I came to understand with that is that for you to not put forth the most effort possible to be as healthy and as strong as you possibly can, you're doing yourself a disservice. Okay, but you didn't know that you were going to have an accident. I didn't. I had no idea. So you've gone to overcome your trauma, basically, overcome things that happened or you experienced when you were younger that have affected the way that you react in relationships. Yeah. So now you're in Australia and you're preparing yourself for being yeah. as powerful as you can be. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually extremely, it's, it's, it's crazy that you mentioned this too, Luke, because the day I remember, Oh my goodness. I remember this the day before I had the accident. I remember po- it was, it's funny too because like my friend Wayne that like, was sitting next to me when I woke up in the hospital. He remembered like he he tags me and this reminds me of it every year. But it was the day before they had the accident, and it was something I posted on Facebook and I said every once in a while we're all gonna have a boss fight, where like you get to a certain level that's very hard and you have to have a boss fight where like this will test this will test your amount of resolve and how the resources you. that you have and how strong your mind yeah. and your body is. Yeah, yeah. And that's your boss fight. Mm. And he reminds me of it every year. He's like, dude, this fucking motorbike accident, that was your boss fight. Like that was your boss fight, man. Yeah. And you came out of it. Mm. And it's like, it's, it's just something that I always remember now. And it was, it was, I think, and here's the thing too, Luke, like I'm, I'm a pretty firm believer in the fact that everything happens for a reason. And sometimes that reason is that we've made a poor decision in the past and that, or, or a series of poor decisions. And that series of poor decisions has now led us into the reality that we're currently residing in where we think that nothing we say or do is incorrect. And, and then that's usually when the universe will be like, are you sure about that? And then you get a boss fight. And that boss fight will show you that some of that stuff that you had, adhered your mind, that you, that you had allowed your mind to adhere to so firmly might not be based on any actual objective truth. It might just be the subjective truth that you tell yourself. And I think a lot of people, myself anyway, I experienced that at a, at a very real level. So, like, I can honestly say, man, even though this accident situation was very hard and it, and it fucking nearly killed me and it's cost me a lot of things. It cost me a 15-year career as a chef. It cost me the person I was with for eight years. But, like, on, I can honestly say, if looking back in retrospect, Luke, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that this accident happened to me because, like, it allowed me the time and space to actually observe how I was living my life and how I was making decisions and how I was allocating my time and be able to improve that moving forward. And I I think that perhaps if this accident hadn't happened to me, 
that I, I might have digressed back to some of my old ways of being or some of my old habits, but like having this situation happen to me, it was basically the universe saying, there's no fucking way you're going back to these terrible habits that you had before. You're going to be a different person. Mm. And you know, like when I finally started to embrace that in the hospital, like things, I, I could really feel things starting to change. Yeah, I remember talking to you. Thanks for sharing that, man. And I know you didn't, uh, you know, I know you didn't go deep into the whole relationship thing and how that kind of fell apart, but obviously it did. And, you know, it's like now when you think about what you've had to go through, you've had to go through loss of time. Basically, the universe has said, uh, this is not the way you're going to live your life. These are not the people that are meant for you. You need to go through this boss fight because you need to go through a journey of self-discovery yeah. and figure out who you really are. And yeah. I think that you're still figuring it out. Yeah. You know? To a degree, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but how is life now? Because you're still kind of stuck. It's, it's not, like, it's not terrible. Like, I get to wake up every day and breathe air and, like, still, like, I can still drive a vehicle. I can still lift weights. I can still exercise. I can still do a lot of the things that I was able to do before the accident. There's just some of those things are at a reduced capacity. But like, honestly, man, like day to day, like e each day, I'm, I'm grateful for each day, you know, because each day is another opportunity to just improve more, to do better, to compound on top of the things you're already doing well or you're learning. Um, and I think that, fuck, man, it, like once you get into a state where, and this, this, it was hard for me to get to this place for a while. There's even times where I still kind of digress a little bit and kind of slide back into, like, what's comfortable. Have you ever thought about committing suicide? No. No. Like, there was times, there was times in the hospital, like, like, the early stages in the hospital was, it was fucking bad, Luke. Like, it was really bad, man. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't lift my fuck, I, and I'm right-handed, too. So I couldn't, I couldn't use my primary arm. I had to have help showering, help like, my mom had to help me eat sometimes. Like, there's some of the videos she showed me where it was, like, I was just, like, going off and doing these crazy tangents talking about random shit because I was in the, like, in the depths of that brain injury in the, in, the, in the acute stages. And, like, when she showed me those videos, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, that, like, I, I was like that? She was like, yeah. And it was really hard for me to be there and witness it. And I was like, yeah, no doubt. Um, but honestly, it's like, I'm sorry, what was the, the original thing you asked me? So, like, yeah, so, like, now that you're trying to, like, get yourself back, yeah. all of yourself, you know, so you can become the best version of yourself to, to actualize all of your creativity and your gifts and, and, and live your dreams, right? Yeah. You're still kind of at a process of, like, for example, there's people that, and I think this is the best example, when you go through, when, just, oh, sorry, my mic might not be, there we go. Um, when you go through a divorce, for example, yeah. and you have to go through mediation or a lawyer and this and that and this, I've heard some like it was just even just working with some some of my clients, uh, some of these divorce cases go for like three, four years, yeah. like trying to like sort out shit and just like come to an amicable solution or whatever. And you know you've been dealing with this now for you know, three years or more than three years. Four years. Like it'll four be, years. Four so years in May. Yeah, so yeah. like you're still like in a sense not able to move on because, you know, things haven't been sorted out like f legally Yeah. with this whole situation. So 
and 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 like I know you're saying, I'm, I'm, it's a blessing to be alive. I'm grateful that I'm breathing. I get I get up every morning, and and that's the most important thing. But again, you know, you do have this desire to become the best version of yourself, to live your best life, to get out there, and this and that. Yeah. But you still parts of your emotional, physical, mental health are not a hundred percent. Plus, you're still dealing with this whole situation with the lawyers and insurance companies and all that stuff. How is that affecting you? It's it, it, to be honest, Luke. It, it feels like I'm carrying an anchor around. Yeah, it feels like there's an anchor. It feels like there's an anchor tied around my mm. fucking ankles. That's what it feels like. Because like to to willfully <sighs> to willfully restrain yourself from the growth you know you're capable of or you know that's possible. Like it's 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 tough, man. It's very tough. But at the same time, like you kind of got to play ball the way, t- like. Cause and you got to get what you deserve. Like right? You got to get what you deserve, yeah, and, and like you know what you deserve. Very much so, and like I know that insurance companies, at the end of the day, an insurance company doesn't care what's happened to you as an individual. An insurance mm. company's main goal is to conserve how much it's going to cost them to settle your matter. Mm. So what's happened to you, or what you've, what it's cost you, or how it's impacted your life, that doesn't matter to the insurance company a shred, mm. not a shred. That's disappointing, eh? It's quite disappointing, man. It's especially when it's like. Especially when it's like, when you're a guest in a country that you don't live in, you yeah. know. So it was like it was. It's been, it's it's been tough, mm. but yeah, it's it's it hasn't been easy, man. It's like there's been times where like, um, and sorry, back to your back to what you asked me before. If I've ever thought about killing myself, I haven't. But there was there was times when, like when I was in the hospital, you're just losing it. Where I was losing it, and yeah. I was like, and I had questioned my I had questioned to myself. I'm like, would it have been better if I just fucking died in this accident? Mm. Because like, that's that's when I didn't know if I'd regain the functionality in the right side of my body, or or how much of my mind would come back. Like it was, those were fucking dark times in the hospital, man. Like dark times in the hospital, like. I can remember walking through the hospital and my leg would buckle all the time. I'd almost fall and eat shit. Like, not being able to, like, eat properly or do things properly because my arm and my hand didn't function properly. Having hospital staff have to, like, guide me or show me how to do certain things that I've that have been, like, natural to me without a second thought for years. Mm. Like, I can remember even one time... <laughs> oh, my goodness. This was kind of funny when I look... It's funny because it, like, got to a point where the, me and the hospital staff actually started joking about this, but... The hospitals had to call. They had to call security on me one day, and um, it was like in the in the in the ward that I was in. So I was in a locked a lockdown ward. So it's like you, you walk onto this ward in the hospital, and it's like there's a big like open like family room type area where I think there was like a foosball or a ping pong table, and then like a couch with a TV yeah. on the wall, stuff like that, and then like the hallway with all the rooms for the the, the basically the patients on that ward. Mm. And so I remember the one day. <laughs> Man, when you when you have like having a brain injury is a it's, it's a fun time for lack of a better word. Um, but I remember one day I was like, I was convinced that I'm okay. I can I can go down to I can go downstairs to the hospital cafeteria and grab some snacks. Like that's not a problem, right? So like I went and there was like a door in on that war, it's in the inside of the ward, but it's the door to like the office for the staff, and that that office has a door on either side to connect to both sides of the ward. And so I went to the office, and I was like, hey, Kim, like, uh, buzz me out. I'm just going to go downstairs to grab some snacks. And he was like, no. He's like, I can't, I can't let you out, man. Like, you can't, you, I can't let you out of the ward. And, like, 
like this is what a brain injury does to your mind. I, I couldn't comprehend why he was saying no to me and why he wouldn't let me out of the ward to go down. I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck's your problem, man? Like, I just want to go downstairs and get snacks. Like, I'm going to come right back. Like, what's the problem? Yeah. And like allowed myself to get really upset about it because I wasn't like, I wasn't able to, to properly process the scenario in my mind because of the brain injury. And I was like, dude, like, let me the fuck out of here. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, I just want to go downstairs. I'll come right back. <laughs> And he was like, no, he's like, I can't let you out of the ward. He's like, it's this lockdown. You can't leave, man. And I was like, fuck you then. Right. And like, I got like, I got really pissy about it and like sat down on the couch and threw the remote for the TV at the wall and like cussed out the staff and the, like cussed out the hospital staff. I didn't even realize I was doing this. Right. What? And then like, like later on, like obviously a couple of days later on, we talked about it and I was like, oh my God, like I felt so bad. I'm like, guys, I'm so sorry. They're like, no, we get it. Like it's part of the injury. It's just like, to us, it was kind of amusing because like you're losing it and you didn't even know why you're losing Shit, it. Man. And so like they had to call security on me and like, so I'm sitting there on the couch and then like, <laughs> oh man, like a couple minutes later, the door to the ward opens up and two security guys are this, this two security guards and a guy in like office attire walk into the where I'm like, what the fuck do you guys want? What are you doing here? I was, I was really belligerent. It was bad, Luke. I was really belligerent, man. Brain injury is not a fun time. Uh, it completely, it completely disintegrates your filter. And so these guys walked into the ward. I was like, fuck do you want this and that? And they were like, the security guards were like, ready to like, okay, well, we have to deal with this. But the guy, the office, the, he was, I, he was some sort of hospital administrative staff. Yep. And, like, he could clearly tell, okay, well, obviously this guy has a fucking brain injury. Like, he's not trying to behave this way. And so he was like, hey, man, he's like, he's like, just calm down. Just talk to me. He's like, what's going on? He's like, why are you so upset? And I was like, well, I just want to go downstairs and get snacks from the cafeteria. And this fucking guy won't let me out of here. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. Right? And he's just like, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pour any gas on the fire. He was just like, well, what do you, what were you trying to get from the cafeteria? And I was like, oh, I wanted to get a bag of chips and then, like, this and this. And he's like, let me just get it for you. And I was like, you'll do that? And he was like, yeah, it's fine. I'll, we'll just go down to the cafeteria and grab that stuff for you. And I was like, okay. And it, like, <laughs> in the mind of a person with a brain injury, it's like, it's like, oh, say la vie, everything's fixed. And it's like, my, my, my attitude switched like immediately. And I was like, okay, yeah, man, cool. Right. And he's like, yeah, we'll just go get it for you. And I was like, but that's what a brain injury does to you. Like you don't, you almost can't even recognize your own behavior mm. when you're starting to get out of line. And so that was an interesting, that was an interesting scenario. And then, um, that's crazy, man. It was funny, though, because it became like once I got out of PTA and I was switched over to the other side of the ward, like once you're off that lockdown ward and they switch you over to the other side, you can just freely walk around the hospital, go outside whenever you want. You're just a regular hospital patient. And at that point, it was like an inside joke between me and the, and the staff from the ward. They're like, hey, remember that time you uh, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Fuck. Like, <laughs> and it just became like an inside joke for us. It was it was it was interesting. That was fun. It's a fun time. So. Uh, you know, listening to there's a lot of humor that you're taking from your experience. Well, you have to because, like, you know, like <laughs> I, I could, I, and I, it's 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 funny too because I remember, yeah, it. but like you sitting with me now, right? Especially like when we went to the cafe, yeah, or to the lunch lady, the restaurant, and if you didn't, and this is this is what I want everyone to pay attention to, guys. There are people walking around the streets wherever you are, and we judge people by face value mm -hmm. when we don't even know their story and we don't know what they've been through. Yeah. And for a moment there, while I was sitting with you, uh, uh, my, my processing of my mind was like, he looks fit, he's taking care of himself, he looks healthy. Um, that's Devon. 
Yeah. Right. And then when you started to talk to me about what you'd been through and your story, you know, my whole perspective and energy shift shifted. Right. And I was just like, fuck, man. And it really hit me because that's everyone. (laughs) You know, everyone. And we, we, it's like, we need more humility. Oh, I couldn't agree you know, with you we, more. We need more. Yeah. And, and I mean, what is it? You know, is it like, fuck you, I don't give a shit about you, attitude, uh, I'm only focusing on me. Um, the only reason I can do what I do now is because, yeah, of course, I was selfish, I am selfish, and I love me first. Yeah. I'm the most important person in my life. I take care of me first because when I take care of me, I can take care of others. Yeah. I'm only able to freaking sit here, do a podcast with you because I showed up for myself, yeah. right? So I'm able to give back now. But, you know, you going through this kind of process right now and your story, yeah, this is what I'm sharing in terms of the awareness that everyone has a story. It doesn't matter how shit, how hard your story is. If you're sitting and you're going, wow, okay, so my story is not that bad. Devin's story is definitely worse than mine. <laughs> but that's the one thing that we do. We compare ourselves and we think that oh, mine's not that, yeah. my, my story is not that bad. But it, it's like your story is your story. It's, and it's subjective em- to you. Or your emotions yeah. and your feelings. And no one knows what that feels like. No one knows to feel like what it feels like to feel neglected or not to feel loved or to feel rejected or to feel abandoned or to feel abused. No one knows internally what you feel specifically. Yeah. Right? Um, but it's beautiful to put yourself into perspective to sit and listen to this episode and to go, wow, I thought my life was hard. And listening to Devin's story is like, imagine I had to go through that. Imagine for the next four years, you had to learn how to walk again, right? And that's the one thing, that's why practicing gratitude, you mentioned it, I'm grateful for every day. It's practicing gratitude every single day um, is the awareness programming your mind that, you know, stop focusing on what you don't have or where you're not yet and focus on the fact that you're alive, the fact that you're breathing, the fact that you have food in the fridge, you know, everything that you do have because you don't have to sit here and go, oh, for the next freaking four years, I need to be in rehab <laughs> and I need to learn how to walk again. Yeah. And, and it does, it puts it in perspective, you know, because a lot of us are sitting and we're not happy. Yeah. But here's the thing, Luke. Uh, this one thing that this is another thing I learned through this whole this whole ordeal, this whole experience is that like, to whether or not you're happy or unhappy is a choice, because and then don't get me wrong, like I know some people may misinterpret this and be like, oh well, something awful happened to me or I I lost someone that I care about, so like I have to be sad. And granted, a hundred percent, if something tragic has happened in your life or you've suffered a significant personal loss, then being sad is the natural response. Everyone is entitled to that those feelings of, fa- of sadness for that time. But when that can start to become an issue is when you take those initial feelings of sadness and processing the situation that you've been through and you adhere those feelings to your personality and to your actual, your character as a human being because then it becomes part of you and you can't, you, you, you can't release it and you walk around you every day and you feel like that. And I feel like that's part of the reason why some people end up in the depths of bad depression or they can't, find the way out of it because they've 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 gotten to a point where they've made their their struggle part of who they are at at like the at like the core where it's like okay i'm not i'm not myself unless i have this struggle right but it's like but no that's not the way it is it's like you you are yourself because you're able to work your way through that struggle 
And I think that the struggles that we face in life, I think that those things are put in front of us on purpose as a test. And it's, it's meant to like, it's meant to show us that we can overcome adversity. We have the wherewithal and the, the resources within ourselves to, to get through difficult times, loss, stress, relationships ending, jobs ending, things like that. Granted, there are some things that we don't have control over, like a person, like a loved one dying or things like that, where, okay, I don't have control over that, and all I can control is how I process the feelings and how I respond to that. But, like, all of those situations hold, like, an unsurmountable, or, sorry, an insurmountable amount of value because, and this, this will sound really cliche and pretty cheesy, but, like, whatever doesn't kill you will make you stronger whether it be emotional or physical. And like, what the one thing I can say to that is that like, yes, difficult things happen in life. There are things we are all going to, or all we all either have or are going to at some point have to face something or deal with something that we really don't want to face and we really don't want to deal with. But I can fucking promise you, any one of you, anybody listening to this, I can promise you that if you can, if you can apply if you can apply the will and diligence to push yourself through that difficult time and deal with that thing you're meant to deal with, I promise you that you will come out of that. You will come out of the other end of that situation a better person. You will have a stronger result. You will have stronger resolve. You will have a fortified mind. Depending on what the situation is, you'll have a much more fortified body. Like you'll have a better understanding of yourself, and you'll have a better understanding of how to interact with other people. Like I can honestly tell you. Uh, Luke, like one of the most invaluable things I've learned from this whole experience over the last four years is it's, it's drastically improved my sense of humility and my ability to just like observe, okay, this person's going through this. Okay, this person might be going through a situation. Normally I'd be like, okay, well, because here's the thing. When I was a chef before, like my career as a chef, like doing that career for so long, I had developed a very cut and dry attitude. So it was like, okay, either you can pull your fucking socks up and get it done or you can't get it done, go the fuck home, right? It was like, I was very black and white in that sense. Mm. And I had done the career so long that I had applied that same mode of thinking to personal situations in my life, where it was like, okay, well, either you can do it or you can't fucking do it. Like, I even, it, it's, it's unfortunate, because it's, it's even something that, like, I sometimes did to my partner, but I didn't realize it, because it was, like, part of my normal mind state, right? But this is the thing, though, is that, like, it's not realistic where it's like, oh, you can either do it or you pull your fucking socks up, pull your socks up and do it or you can't do it. Like, no. Like, here's the thing. Like, it's something that goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like, we all experience the same, like, we all experience the same type of, like, okay, stress, loss. But depending on who you are as an individual and what you've gone through personally, your stress and your loss will be significantly different than my stress and my loss. It will have a different impact on you. It will, it will create different feelings. It, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a different end result. So it doesn't it's not constructive to apply the same like we can't just apply the same like i did before when i was a chef like oh, okay well this is hard we'll just pull your socks up and fix it because there are times where people might not actually be able to do that so i can honestly say that like the one like i said the one thing that this has taught me is like humility mm. to actually al allow yourself the space in your mind to take a step back from how you think and feel intrinsically and observe what that other person is going through and try to see things from their perspective or try to process the situation in your mind, how they might be processing it based on what's happened to them or what they're facing. 
because that will allow you to that will allow you to exercise humility properly. It will allow you to be a lot more compassionate as a human being, and it will allow us to like grow in a ways that are a lot <laughs> more constructive. Yeah. yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying, man. Uh, and again, um, there's a really powerful quote that says, "You can only meet someone as deep and as far as you've met yourself." That's very true, man. And if you haven't That's met yourself true. a little bit further, deeper within your own trauma, pain, insecurities, fears, limitations, then it's gonna it's gonna be very challenging for you to to be able to have the kind of awareness or um, ability to put yourself in other people's shoes and have that compassion, especially as I always come back to the relationship with yourself, self-love. How much of a connection do you have with yourself? How much do you know yourself? Yeah. You know, is going to give you the ability to be able to uh, understand other people. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand yourself, why would you understand other people? You can't. You, you, know? you, you can't. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, thanks for sharing all of that, man. It's, it's incredible that you are here. Because, you know, one w wrong move or, you know, the the doctor ringing your mum and asking for consent, I, I, I kind of found that a bit stupid. I was like, man, if the guy's dying and he's like, why wouldn't you just fucking do it? I thought it was, I, like, when I when my mom told me the story when I when I woke up, I thought it was, I was like, well, wh why wouldn't they just fucking save my life? But I know, it's, like, what the fuck, it's because it's of It's because of the severity of what my injury consisted of because... Because I had sustained an injury to my brain, and then the medical procedure they had to perform basically involved them having to drill into my skull. Mm. There's a serious risk that they could kill you by yeah, accident. Right. Yeah, okay, right? okay, okay. So that's why, yeah. like, because I'm not a citizen of their country, I'm not a citizen of Australia. I know, but even that's fucking stupid. I know, trust me, man. I know. Fucking the country. <laughs> I so, know. <laughs> so you're not gonna fucking help him because he's a Canadian citizen, he's not an Australian citizen. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. So they know? said, they, my mom told me that if... You're a fucking human part of the fucking earth. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's the other thing about this whole... Yeah, I mean, there's so many... If you have a look at the structure of the system of how the world is created it's and the countries and religions broken. and nationalities and all that shit, it is made to divide you. Yep. And so don't let it. Your job is to allow yourself to not be divided from anyone. And and then that's one of, one of my main teachings and and purposes is to you know i remember when my mom you know she's really she loves her christian faith you know she's catholic yeah. i remember when i was first starting this journey and she wanted me to really focus on s sharing the news of the you know the christian bible and all that stuff yeah. you know and and i was like no i don't want to i i speak i remember saying this back in 2019 I speak with a universal tongue yeah. and my message is for everyone. I don't give a fuck what religion you are, where you come from, what color your skin is, your color of your eyes, what your partner is. I don't give a shit about all that. Nope. I'm At just, the end of the day, we all bleed red and breathe the same air. I'm just speaking to your soul, yeah. you know, and, and that brings me peace, man. Yeah. You know, it brings me peace that I'm not rejecting anyone. I'm not speaking to a specific minority or majority, you know. Um, and you need to take a look at your life and say, you know, what brings me peace? Yeah. And so that's my question for you before we finish up. What brings me peace? What What do you do to that makes <sighs> you peaceful? What brings you peace, man? Lifting weights. Mm -hmm. 
being able to, like still being able to exercise. Yeah. Um, it brings me that brings me a lot of peace because I know that. So I'm what you enjoy, that's what you enjoy. That's what I enjoy. Yeah, Pre- like it's actually that's actually a tough question, man. What brings me peace? Because like what brought me peace, it used to be my partner, especially through all the shit that's been happening in the last few years and everything that happened after my accident, her being there after my accident and everything. Like that was what brought me peace, and especially like. It was crazy too, Luke, because when that accident happened, her and I, we weren't in a relationship. Yeah, like I know. We still That's why knew I'm each confused, other. Because you said you were in a relationship, then you broke up, then she came to Australia because you had an accident, but you weren't even together back then. Yeah, which is crazy because, like, she's like, and I remember when she came there, I remember asking her, I'm like, I'm like, what if, like, like, what made you come here? For, like, why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I'm so glad that you came, but like, wh- like, I didn't think I was that important to you anymore. And she's like, no, she's like, I remember she said to me, she's like, I felt like I had to be here. I felt like it was my responsibility to be guilty? here. I don't think she felt guilty. I think she I think she still loved me a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, you've been together for, what, six years or something? Yeah, like we had been together yeah. for a long time. And I think, she, I think she still loved me. And she, like, I think she was very, she was extremely upset. I remember this because, like, when the accident happened, this was something I totally forgot about. But, like, we had gone traveling together back in 2016. We went on a big backpacking trip to a bunch of different countries. So when we left to go traveling, we had listed each other as the emergency contact in, in each other's passport information in case we got separated or one of us got lost or something happened to some, one of us or something like that. And I didn't realize that that information was still linked to my passport. So when, I, so when the accident happened in Australia, like I know that the, like the hospital contacted my mom because they had my phone and things like that. But the authorities, the police in Melbourne, they're like, okay, well, we have to contact the next, like, who do we contact? Who's the next of kin? They looked at my passport information. They're like, it's this person. So they contacted her. They sent the police. They sent RCMP officers to her house in Surrey to tell her what happened. Um, and, like, she was at work, so her dad answered the door. And, like, her dad's funny, too, because her dad's a police officer. And so they were like, they're like, oh, we need to speak to a lady. And he was like, well, why? And he's like, well, we can't tell you. And he's like, well, I'm a police officer. You can tell me. And he's like, no, no, we can't tell you. Like, it's like, we can't can only tell the person who's listed as the emergency contact and then once she found out like she she fucking lost her mind she had a big meltdown at work her parents had to come and get her from work because she couldn't drive home um because she was so upset and mm. like like she wanted to come she was going to come to us she wanted to come to australia immediately when my mom did but my mom was there already and she's like no like it's like you you can't see him like this like it's 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 bad like you have to wait until he gets better so that's what she did. She waited and then... How long did she wait? The three months I was in the hospital. Shit. Yeah. So that three months I was in the hospital, once I got out of, like, once I got out of PTA, because the thing, they took my phone from me too while I was in post-traumatic amnesia. And once I got out of post-traumatic amnesia, they gave me back my phone. And, like, she would call me from time to time or I would call her. We'd have conversations or we'd have face, I'd FaceTime her in the hospital and things like that. And it was, like, it was good because it was, like, that was one of the things that was motivating me to get better. Of course. There was, like you said, there like, was a vision. That was my goalpost. That was my goalpost. Yeah. Okay. And, so then, and then when she came to Australia, man, that like... Did that change your life? It meant so much to me, Luke. Yeah, because well. like, I remember when she got there and I was like, we went and picked her up from the airport. Me and the uh, rehab staff went and picked her up from the airport. She had an Airbnb right down the street from where I was staying. And I just went and stayed with her most of the time. And I remember at like... And she's like, yeah, I just, I felt like I had to be here and I, and I yeah. wanted to be here. And like, so that's the power of love. Yeah, that's for sure. That's the power of human connection. That's the power of a relationship, you know, that, yeah, you can do things on your own. You can love yourself. You can have a great relationship with yourself, have your own back and all that. And I think it does take strength to be able to go through an experience by yourself. 
yeah. not have people there to love you and support you. Yeah. Um, you know, but in your instance, having that person, having her come, having her be your goalposts and helping you and motivating you to like not give up and keep going, that's powerful stuff. But I asked you what brings you peace and you said that... It used to at, be her. It used to be her. Yeah. So would you agree uh, that, that possibly back then that you were kind of like dependent on something else to make you happy, make you feel peace, make you feel content? To a, to a degree, I think I was because at that point, like I had, I had lost a lot of, like I had lost a lot of my confidence. I lost a lot of like my understanding of what type of future I was going to have based because I was at the point, Luke, where I had been a chef for so long. It had been like nearly, I didn't like, I started cooking when I was 17 and I did my apprenticeship when I was 23. So I had been in the kitchens for like 15 years. Yeah. So like I had reached a point where like I was convinced that I was either going to die or retire as a chef. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to do any other career. So, like, this pulling me out of that, like, it's, it's. So, the, the, the breakup, the, the, she left, she decided to leave you. Yeah. And now you've been single for how long? Two years. Two years. Yeah. And you've had to embrace your own thoughts, yeah. your own demons. You've had to, f you know. Uh, spend time with yourself like you know and, and I relate it to myself because I went through so many rejections and relationships that didn't work out and it was always the universe just uh, forcing me to get to a point where I was realizing myself that I needed me more than anyone yeah and I needed to stop chasing and start spending more time with myself I was forced to do it yeah you know, and so it's kind of a similar experience for you <laughs> that you have been pushed into a corner. Yeah. She left you. You went through all this stuff so that you could actually humble yourself yeah. and discover who you truly are. And the most, that's the thing too, the most important relationship that we will ever have in our life is the relationship that we have with ourselves. So, because if the relationship with ourselves is not good. No, it's not easy, bro. But fuck, man. Like, that's powerful shit what you've had to go through, you know, and it's not easy. And, you know, it's all when you start to like talk about it and think about how the process has gone, which I think we've done a lot of work on that today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, guys, um, we're going to finish process. up. Um, Devin, it's been amazing to have you on the Luke Mindpower podcast. Uh, this is episode 184. Um, I am sure that people are inspired by your story. Uh, they probably want to know where the hell they can find you, maybe follow you, um, because I'm sure I don't have a doubt in my mind, bro, that. There are some powerful things up ahead for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. You I, I'm going to do really, some stuff for you sure. You have a very powerful uh, purpose. Yeah. And you're going to change a lot of people's lives as well. Yeah. Uh, even if you can't see it right now, you're not supposed to, but it will come. And I believe that, you know, I'm in your life for a reason as well. Absolutely. You know, so um, it's just the beginning of the start of the, the best of the rest of your life, man. Yeah. I just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for what the future holds and what... Uh, what possibilities are going to come forth? Like I'm very, I'm very excited for that, and I'm very grateful. Just gotta, just gotta wait a little bit longer until all this accident shit is dealt with, and then I'm free again. I can start to actually do the things that I know I'm meant to do. Yeah, man, yeah. it's powerful. Keep going. I believe in you, man. And I appreciate um, that. I appreciate your time, and yeah, just tell people where can they find you on Instagram or TikTok? Where are you? Oh uh, like, yeah, I'm not on TikTok, but I, I have Instagram. Yeah, my my oh. handle on Instagram is uh, double underscore and then D train. So D T R I A N, and that's it. Just double underscore D train. 
D train with a I A N, not a A I N. Or sorry, no A I N. Sorry, <laughs> just checking. Yeah, uh, double <laughs> double underscore double underscore D, D train. Yeah, D train. Devon voices in the house on the Luke Mindpower podcast uh, live from Vancouver in yeah. Canada. Uh, it's a blessing to have you, man. I love you, bro. Keep going. Never give up on your dreams. Never give up on yourself. You're a powerful, man. And uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, please take your time to go. And if you do have the time, of course, go on Apple Podcasts um, or Spotify and leave me a five-star review um, and a rating. I would really appreciate that. Um, and if you do do that, screenshot it and send me a direct message on Instagram and I'll send you a surprise in return. Guys, I believe in you. Never give up on your dreams. This is Luke MyPower signing out. I can't wait to speak with you guys on the next episode. I'll see you soon. Peace out. Thanks for tuning in to the Luke MindPower podcast. It's a blessing to be alive and I appreciate you. Never give up on your dreams. You are more powerful than you can ever imagine. That risk you're afraid to take will change your life. So do it. You can thank me later. To all my Apple and Spotify listeners, take a moment and send me back some positive energy and love by leaving me a five-star rating and a review. Remember, what you put out comes back. Before you go, I'd love to invite you into our amazing, positive, and loving Facebook community, The Dream Chasers. Remember, with whom you surround yourself with is whom you become. So join us. The link is in the show notes. If you're interested in learning more about our coaching programs or have me speak at your next event or even have me on your podcast, please visit our website, lukemindpower.com. Always love yourself and remember that when you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are.